Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. That's Brother Trucker, and they're tuned downtown, kicking off another great hour of conversation here on Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM, broadcasting from Des Moines, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Okay, so before we kick off our conversation here, I want to thank a few of the local businesses that helped make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Market and Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And they've also got a fantastic catering service. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been uh, treating critters large and small for over 30 years. That's uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic. Uh, thanks also to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines. Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and a vegetarian menu. All vegetarian menu. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, building urban-rural alliances to fight climate change, to push back against the Dakota Access Pipeline, and to promote non-industrial renewable energy systems. And finally, thanks to uh, Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at great prices with very friendly, helpful service. Thanks to all those folks who helped make this program possible. Okay, welcome to the program again, and we got, uh, as usual, a packed lineup for you today. I want to uh, welcome Mark uh, Clipsum to the uh, Clip Sham. There we go. Excellent. I got to, I got to make sure there's a, the right consonant in there, or you'd be very offended. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I've been called many other things. Okay. <laughs> Mark is an architect, among other things, from Ames, Iowa, and a deep thinker about all matters uh, political and climate. Mark, welcome to the show. Good morning, Ed. Yeah. So, um, your perspective on this uh, ongoing Shall I even call it a debate or ongoing capacity to ignore what should be a very very uh, pointed debate on climate change? That's an excellent way to put that, uh, to ignore. And, and, and I'm kind of nervous. This stuff is really, really important to me. It's the fate of our world as we know it and our health. I was thinking on the way down here, driving down here, and I thought climate change has the potential to help us in the same manner our president has. <laughs> wow, that's, I, quite a, that's quite a claim. You go like, it's in your face. You know, all of a sudden, these things that have been under the, under the radar, you know, uh, gender, race, uh, religion, all kinds of things like that, it's now right out in front. It's not, there's nobody sugarcoating it. Everybody goes, that's what it is. We have a lot of work to do. We're not healthy. Yeah. In that, so, uh, yeah, oh, I, th I, think, I think the world has a better chance of surviving Donald Trump than it does climate change at this point. But you, you, ha you have some optimism. Well, I, so I, was, I, I was thinking as I was driving down here, this all sounds really negative, and it, it sounds so defeatist and fatal. But look at it as an opportunity. Our economy, and I, I am amazed when I hear our leaders, I'm going to put quotes around that, our governor, our president, uh, the mayor of the town near me, uh, the chamber of commerce anywhere, you know, what is their agenda? Their agenda is growth. Growth at all costs sometimes. Well, growth as related to the economy, growth economy, sort of this uh, unquestioned assumption that this is what we have to do, yeah. but the, the, the very undeniable relationship of the economy and the environment is the economy grows at the expense of the environment. It has to. The economy is about consuming things. Uh, but does it? Does it? Need, don't we need a new economic model? Yeah, that, that, exactly. Where you're going? Okay, good. Yeah. So, so <laughs> well, we're in the growth mode. In other words, last year wasn't enough. We need to do more for next year, and then we add to that. The next year is even more and more and more. Well, this consumption, I would call rapacious consumption of things we don't need for the most part. That's what makes us unhealthy. 
Uh, look at our healthcare system. That's a result of overconsumption. Look at our environment. That's yet, the result yet, of overconsumption. Yet, if uh, if there are more dollars spent in healthcare, that's considered a positive indicator for the GNP. Well, it's because it grows the economy, but the economy grows at the expense of the environment. Right. You can't keep taking out of some. I had this thought. And I don't know how politically correct it is. It's something I, I forgot about a whole oh, long sorry. time ago. We don't, we don't allow anything not politically well, correct. Well, okay, I'll put this no, in kidding. wonderfully. We, we tend to focus on not, not what's not politically correct, so go ahead. It's called the truth. <laughs> so we came to this country before there was an economy, and it was beautiful. It was, it, was, it was a gorgeous woman, shall we say, fertile and capable and loving. And here it was. What do we do? We took, came and took advantage of it. We basically turn this beautiful woman into some, a prostitute. Well, we some of some say we have raped the earth, and, it's, uh, and again and again it's, and um, again. Yeah, it's really it, it is shameful to see what we've done. Now we've also created some pretty amazing and beautiful things. How do we balance that with the need to get back to a more holistic uh, approach to living on the earth with the earth? That was kind of where I was going in the positive aspect of it and uh, well, I don't want to bring in religion as religion I'll bring it in as a as a, a philosophy you know Jesus said live simply you know uh, shun materialism because it gets in the way of what's important I totally agree with that the most beautiful places on earth are basically deserts you know reefs the Gulf of Mexico uh, rainforests they're very very efficient and I will put some of the most beautiful things on the earth are our bodies and when you add extra nutrients, extra stuff to it, it pollutes it. Look at the Gulf of Mexico. We put nutrients in there, fertilizer, which is supposed to help things grow, and it kills it. Right. We put because salt. It's not where it belongs. Yeah. We put salt and fat and sugar in our bodies way in excess that we could yeah. ever need, and we have a health care crisis. Yeah. And what's the answer? The mantra, the dogmatic mantra is growth. So my tenet is... First off, what you had brought up earlier, the economic paradigm, the, I don't know why the word stability is so horrible. It used to I mean, I want a stable family, I want a stable job, I want a stable life, but somehow with the economy, that's not acceptable. That is called stagnation. Yeah. It has to keep growing. Right. And, you know, really, isn't, isn't that growth model the, isn't the appropriate paradigm a cancer cell? I, uncontrolled growth for the sake of growth. Absolutely. Uh, or, I mean, you know, if you, think of our, you think of our bodies physically. We grew, uh, we grew physically to a certain point in life, usually around age 19 or so. Uh, and then we stop growing physically, but hopefully we continue to grow emotionally, spiritually, mm -hmm. psychologically. And why not apply that metaphor, a metaphor of life, to the growth model that, you know, why don't we supplant the current growth model that cities, towns, and, you know, our, our entire nation really uses and supplant something that's more organic, biological. Again, you've achieved the physical growth you need. Now let's look at other ways in which we can continue to develop but not necessarily expand the physical boundaries, not necessarily expand the amount of consumption or the amount of resources that we, that we continue to deplete. I... I think the universe is an analogy uh, I think everything is analogous the, the analogy for example of city relative to people is you can go throw, excuse me <clears throat> you can grow tall and strong or you can sprawl and grow weak yeah. and it's actually built into our laws that that is the mode to take 
the sprawling uh, mode. Yeah, uh, yeah, you have to have a certain amount of grass and parking and all this stuff. And right, you're, now you're, you're an architect. You've probably seen. You probably run up against some of those uh, requirements. Uh, a minimal a number of parking spaces, even though you don't need that. I, I have yet to drive by the big box stores and ever see the parking lots full, even on Black Friday. It, it just amazes me. And there's places in West Des Moines, for example, if I was going to go from one store to another, I would get into my car and drive across the parking lot. You know, uh, there's places in the little town I live nearby. And, and uh, you know, there there's Franchise Boulevard. No sane person would walk there, let alone ride a bike. Except it's, for maybe me. Uh, well, like I said, I, I mentioned the sane part. Right, you did say sane. That's true. Insanity is a, is a relative term. It's a social term, actually. I'm insane. Uh, the, the town nearby, oh, the status quo rules, innovation, while it's touted as being a goal, is really fought against because we want to keep things the way they are. I developed my own building system. It's against the zoning codes in the city nearby to build it because it doesn't look like everything else. So you are outside of the city where that's not an issue. Correct. Uh, but they as, could annex you, and then they'd require you to undo everything you've done. Well, as, as the uh, world becomes more civilized, as you will, there's less wild, I mean, wild we're, west. We're putting that in quotes, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, um, <laughs> hmm, what would be the niceified, shall we say, yeah. sort of wallpapered over? Well, even, you know, to me, this, uh, this, this conversation is not a partisan one. I think more and more people are, are fed up with um, a model of growth and development and the rules and regulations that accompany that model that are not sustainable. I mean, how many people do I know that, that uh, want to, for example, uh, raise food at their home in a city or a mm -hmm. small town? Or they want to have chickens. Or they, or they want to put up a solar panel. They want to do something that's more sustainable. And they want to be able to control their own destiny to some extent. And yet there are laws and regulations and ordinances that prevent that from happening. Well, and, and I don't want to be on the sort of the flip side of that is... I don't want to be a product to be harvested. I'm I'm a crop. I'm an insurance crop. You're I'm a consumer. A, I'm a pizza crop. <laughs> I'm a I'm a car crop. I'm all this stuff. It's like you are encouraged not to be independent. And and the part that kills me about this whole thing is we started out as a country of strong independent people and now the most profitable person is the weakest, the sickest, the most desperate, the most time crunched. Uh, that's the people that makes money. They don't have time to do the things. They have to hire other people to do it. They can't fix their own house. They can't fix their computer. They can't fix their car. And, you know, I, I don't, and I don't think everybody needs to be able to do all of those things, but we, we need to be connected through our communities with people who can. We shouldn't have to, uh, you know, have some uh, expensive... Um, uh, you know, specialists that we have to hire mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on some city or state law. But know. though that that's the another form of most profitable person. Right. Person, the more specialized you are, the less big picture you have of everything. And, and I'm going to take that to another point. And I'm not talking. I don't want to talk extremism here. But as a philosophy, back in the day call it uh, uh, frontier days, you know, you chopped your own wood, you built your own house, you toted your own water. 
I'm going to guarantee you, you did not turn the water on and just let it run until right. it got cold or whatever. Well, you have to work for something. You don't, you don't, you don't waste it. Yeah, if I'm, yeah. If I'm chopping my own yeah. wood, I'm not yeah. going to have a fire pit in my backyard yeah. in the middle of summer so I have a nice... It's like, no, are you kidding? <laughs> part of the problem is you've got, you've got a consolidation of economic power. Take energy, for example. Mid-American energy, pretty much, they're, they're a, quote, regulated monopoly, and the regulation part of that is, is, is questionable. But they, they are definitely a monopoly, and, they, they, and they, they do everything they can to thwart the competition. Uh, you know, they were against wind energy until they found a way to control it all. Uh, no, they found it profitable. It's, well, they yeah. found it profitable, and they found a way to control it. And so now, you know, you don't see small operators um, getting into wind. Uh, and you don't see a lot of respect for landowner rights, who people are concerned about how, how the installations are, are, pro are popping up in their areas. And you also, you see Mid-American pushing back against solar energy, against efforts to try to let more individuals, uh, more small businesses, more communities do their thing with solar. And we, we, saw, we saw Alliant Energy push back against uh, Decor residents who wanted a municipal power district, and they defeated, barely defeated the Decor people. Uh, we saw Mid-American push back against Iowa City a few years ago and won that. So if that's, that's a big part of our problem is we have these monopolies, and energy is just one example, mm -hmm. and they, they have learned how to dominate the political specter through lobbyists, through donations, through pressure, uh, through misinformation, and that leaves the rest of us at a loss for how to really, um, really... Gain, gain a level of independence and interdependence that we desperately need. That, that, uh, that we used to have in abundance. That was, that was a can of worms and a half you just opened up. One of I them. Know. I love worms. I, I, whole cans of them. I'm not going to eat them. Though. I'm a vegan. Uh, <laughs> Are you not? <laughs> because it makes me feel good. I, I well, let's not even go there. Uh, quote unquote law conspiracy. The incentives for energy efficiency were just ended at the beginning of the year. I, that just blew my mind. You are not incentivized to insulate your house, air seal it, new windows, anything. I was like... Let less money for mid-American energy. You could could yeah. not go the worst direction at the worst time. I was thinking the other day, you know, we're getting a little... Flavor a little a little uh, hint of what's going to be in the future. You know, wildfires. Uh, I got if a, if a hurricane's about a tornado. Uh, wow, you our, have no idea. Our polar vortex is a feature uh, of climate change. As so well. so what happens when you have an ice storm, and this happens and it knocks down the lines, and before the next, before the lines are even repaired, the next ice storm comes, yeah. and then some weird weather we've never even seen before. Hey, we just had fog last night. To the point I couldn't see my neighbor's house, and it's not that far away. Yeah. Okay, so what happens when the power shuts off? My house is plugged in to power. Yeah. I have a wood stove, but by golly, I want my furnace, you know, and I sure. want my lights yeah. and this kind of stuff. Uh, what happens when my organic spring mix lettuce can't get here anymore? <laughs> no, I mean, Better save your own seed. I, I grow some of my own food. I'm starting to think about those yeah. kind of things. Mark, I've got to run to a quick break. Okay. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'm going to switch gears and talk about the presidential campaign and the bird dogging that's going on relevant to climate change. If you want to stick around for that conversation, Mark, you're welcome. Okay. Folks, we'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. 
Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Bold Iowa was launched in 2016 to fight the Dakota Access Pipeline and continues to support the landowners who filed lawsuits against the abuse of eminent domain to build that pipeline. Bold Iowa's mission is to build rural-urban coalitions to fight climate change, prevent the abuse of eminent domain, protect Iowa's soil, air, and water, and support non-industrial renewable energy systems. For more information, visit boldiowa.com, not .org.com. That's boldiowa.com. Host here again, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. Well, later in the program, Lori Bell and joining us to talk about what's happening at the Iowa State House. Uh, all across the country, state legislatures are most of them going back to session, and the fun begins. We'll also talk with uh, Sarah Starman uh, of Mighty Earth about a campaign relevant to climate and biofuels and the Iowa caucuses. But speaking of the Iowa caucuses, um, Mark Clipstrom is with me here in the studio, and uh, I don't know how much you've been following the presidential election, Mark, but uh, or the presidential campaign, rather, but um, it's pretty interesting stuff. And, um, and uh, one thing that I've been very involved with through my work with Bold Iowa is extensively bird-dogging presidential candidates to uh, find out where they stand on climate, on pipelines, on renewable energy, on how climate change and pipelines are affecting farmers, landowners, native communities. And um, <clears throat> it's been an interesting ride in just the first couple, three weeks that we've been working on that. 
I don't, have you had a chance to meet any of these presidential candidates yet? I have not. I, I listen through the radio. I read the paper to an extent. It's it's so early. They're they're kind of trying to figure out who they are, and I wish that's who I want to vote for. Somebody who already knows who they are. <laughs> well, some of them do. Some of them are trying to figure out what message resonates. And that's interesting because uh, you have to wonder if they really are working hard to try to figure out what message resonates. Is it really the message that they believe in or are they just trying to get, 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 yeah, get a, a momentum? I want, for president, I want a good person. I don't want a nice person. Nice people tell you what you want to hear. Good people tell you what you need to hear. That's a good distinction. And right now, everybody's – I this – this growth economy thing is like our new god. It's unquestionable. It's, it's a belief. Yeah, that's you know, you, and you should question candidates about that because that relates to it relates to climate change. It relates to a lot of things. Um, we had an interesting uh, opportunity to meet with Andrew Yang, the uh, Johnston, oh, okay. oh. the Johnston Democrats hosted an event for him uh, this past weekend, and um, uh, my partner Kathy and I got to talk with him about uh, climate change and. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce two things off you, two of his ideas. First of all, the, the most important thing he said we could do about climate change. Well, first of all, he recognized it's an existential threat. But the most important thing he said we could do about climate change was to increase everybody's income, give everybody a $1,000 freedom dividend, and that freedom dividend will, will allow you to lift yourself out of poverty and in that case, you'll start to have more concern about the big picture, about climate change, for example. And I, I, here's my thought is, first of all, that's pretty insulting to poor people, <laughs> implying that they, know, they don't care mm, mm. because they don't have any money. I, and I understand that some folks are they living— They can't afford to care is what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that some people are struggling so much that those big picture issues don't, don't resonate as well as, as well as they might, but they still care. And the other implication is that people with money care. Well— Maybe some do, but a lot of them are part of the problem. That's my take. What, what do you think? Uh, I Funny, I was thinking about that on the way down here. I'm going to go on a little wormhole, but all, all, all wealth comes from the environment. Okay? I hear of someone who has a billion dollars, $50 billion, $10 billion, whatever, in that all wealth comes from the environment, I... Imagine that pile of money sitting there doing nothing. It's trophies. They're earth trophies. It's like elephant bones or something like that. It's a pile of bones that have been carved out of the earth sitting there, and that's somebody's trophy. Look at how big my pile of earth bones is. Right. In the settlers' days, they had people drive by on trains and shoot bison to starve the Indians so they could take everything back to raping the earth and, yeah. and everything else. And I go, like, that's what the, where did that become... The the yardstick, you know, uh, yeah, is it wealthy people good? No, that that's yeah. what's well, that's I, horrible. I mean, it, it was an interesting response. I've never I've never heard a a serious contender for public office respond to a question about climate change by saying, "Let's increase people's income." But the second half of his response was even more bizarre. Okay, hold on to your hat here. It's pretty Mark. simplistic. I you know okay, but but the, the second half he says we need geoengineering, and one thing we can do, he said was to pack topsoil around the base of glaciers to slow the melting. That can't, that can't be a serious proposal. You're groaning. 
You're looking. Uh, you look well. I mean, if you want to do, Mark looks pained right now. Folks. No, I, okay. If you want to go that route, first off, address the cause, not the problem or not the symptom. The cause is consumption. Okay. If you really wanted to save the glaciers, quote unquote, you would put a disc of mylar out in space, and it would block part of the sun, and voila, yeah, it but, could but, kill the earth. But who knows about that? What what are the, what are the side effects? Well, of that? that's the problem. We we already know what the problem is. We are so weak. God forbid we would chop our own wood, carry our own water. And no, I'm not necessarily yeah. recommending that. I'm just saying do our more of our own work. Do you know what drives climate change? And so, this this is this is this is uh, fossil sacri- fuel this consumption. Is sacrilege. Oh, way worse. That's that is the symptom, not the cause. The okay. cause is investment. I have investments. Okay. What is investment about? Investment about is using my money to make money without my actually doing work. Hey, folks, we've got to take a short break. We'll be back in a little bit. to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here in the uh, second half hour of our program today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with uh, Sarah Starman with Mighty Earth. Uh, before we go to our conversation about the State House, I want to take a second to thank our some of our local business partners, Gateway Market and Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. Uh, thanks also to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It's tax season, folks, so give Yingsa at Community CPA a shout today. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Also thanks to Sardin's Garage, located at 6th and College in Des Moines, uh, where they will, uh, they've been servicing my cars for, well, four generations now. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, working to build urban and rural alliances to fight climate change. And finally, thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof. No appointment needed. Stop by. That's Diversity Insurance. All right, welcome to the uh, second half of our program. On the phone with us, Lori Bellin, author of the Bleeding Heartland blog. Uh, And Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Sure, and uh, and welcome to the show. And again, you are uh, tracking the Iowa legislature where all sorts of fun is happening. What what do we got going on after the first couple weeks up there? Well, one of the bills that I'm most interested in is a state constitutional amendment that would change our system of disenfranchising people who have felony convictions. So the governor... Uh, recently decided to take a position on that issue, and she introduced a constitutional amendment, and it's through a subcommittee in the Iowa House. has not been taken up yet in the Iowa Senate, but prospects look pretty good for it getting through the Iowa House based on what I saw at the subcommittee meeting. Yeah. Now, Iowa is one of only a few states that have a very punitive approach to allowing ex-felons to vote, correct? Only two now that Florida changed their system by a popular referendum. So Iowa and Kentucky now are the only states where almost everyone with a felony conviction is disenfranchised for life. Now, why Even is a class D felony? Now, why is Governor Reynolds opting to go through the constitutional amendment process, which takes years, as opposed to just having the legislature uh, take take immediate action or doing what Vilsack did years ago and just just automatically allowing felon rights, felon voting rights, to be restored? Well, 
I don't know why um, Governor Reynolds hasn't issued an, exec- an executive order. That's what I would prefer to see her issue an order and then also work on changing the Constitution. I mean, the, the benefit to amending the Constitution is that then it, it can't be t- reversed by the next governor, which is what Terry Branstad did. Uh, he, the first day he was back in office, he rescinded that executive right. order that Tom Vilsack had issued. So right. I think it's important to amend the Constitution, but I don't think that that should be mutually exclusive with an executive order. Okay. I've heard, I, I haven't gotten a comment directly from the governor's office. I've heard some people thought that if she, if the governor acted by executive order, then it sort of takes the pressure off the legislators to do anything because they would feel like they, no action by the right. legislature was needed. Now, what I would like to see, I mean, I, I would like to see the constitutional amendment get, get through the first step this year, and then I'd like to see the governor go ahead and take action with an executive order, because the earliest an amendment could take effect would be after the 2022 general election. Right. And if we want people to be able to vote in this year's local elections and in the 2020 and 2022 general election, you know, there's going to have to be some action taken before that. All right. What else is happening up there? Well, uh, Senator Joe Bolcom of Iowa City is introducing a bill to legalize marijuana. Uh, that is probably not going to go anywhere under Republican control, but uh, Senator Bolcom has really been in the forefront on the medical cannabis issue. He was working on that years before I thought there was any chance the legislature would act. And so I think that um, I, he's kind of pushing the envelope and getting the conversation going. And uh, 10 states have already legalized marijuana so it's time yeah. to start having that discussion Actually, I, do you know when do you know when uh, legal marijuana legislation was first introduced in iowa i i, I don't <laughs> 1993 by me <laughs> <laughs> oh good for you <laughs> yeah. so and it wasn't just medical it was full legalization i believe so i can't remember i i, I did different things on in different years to try to Find something that might uh, catch, uh, you know, catch fire, but nothing did. But we're in a different climate now, with people, I think, being aware that uh, that there is genuine medical value, and there's also uh, a lot of cost and hardship to the current very punitive approach to dealing with um, with uh, somebody caught or selling marijuana. And right now, I mean, thousands and thousands of convicted felons have committed nonviolent offenses right. that were related to um, a drug addiction or substance, some kind of substance abuse issue. And so the, the problems are connected. I mean, as you, your listeners probably know this already, but Iowa's medical cannabis law is one of the worst in the country. It's yeah. so very limited yeah. and limited in terms of the diseases that can be treated and also limited in, in the forms of the extracts that can be used. And so I know that there are, are always uh, some legislators working on expanding and improving that law. And it is a bipartisan issue, but the problem right now is the Republican leader of the Iowa House, Linda Upmeyer, she has been the main obstacle to improving our medical cannabis bill. But she, but she represents farm country. Farmers would benefit by, by being able to grow either industrial hemp or medicinal marijuana or for other purposes. And, you know, and she's a nurse practitioner by training. So I always say, you know, she's the least compassionate nurse practitioner you could ever imagine. I mean, I just don't understand how anyone who's worked in the healthcare field, I mean, my mother had cancer in the 1970s, and her oncologist, uh, you know, quietly advised her to um, find some marijuana to use for chemo side effects in the 1970s. So it's not something that the medical community has been unaware of. So, So what else is happening up there? Well, um, I think that, you know, as always, school funding is going to be a big issue. Uh, Mental health funding, there are some efforts this year to try to create a better mental health system for children in Iowa. 
And that's something that could probably happen, maybe like last year's mental health bill, maybe a bipartisan mm. support. I mean, the, the problem is going to be the money because there's the state budget is not in a great position right now. And some Republicans are always talking about more tax cuts. And so we're not funding public education adequately and we're not okay. funding health services. Uh, Medicaid, you know, there have been people, Democrats have been talking about trying to improve oversight um, with a Medicaid privatization. I don't really see anything on that happening this year, even though it's an issue that affects almost 700,000 Iowans. I just don't see any sign that the Republican caucus is serious about addressing these problems, although they should be, because in some ways the rural hospitals, the rural uh, assisted living facilities, they're some of the worst, most impacted uh, by this Medicaid privatization and all the reimbursement problems that they've right. had. So, you know, there's always a disconnect between what you think the legislature should be working on and what they are working <laughs> on, and you probably know that oh, better yeah. than and most sometimes people, that, sometimes given your insider experience. A chasm between those two sometimes. So one more question. Anything happening on climate change? Oh, gosh. I have not really heard of anything. Honestly, I just think the Republican legislators have their heads in the sand. I mean, it's always... the. The people, the environment-minded legislators, are always on defense. I haven't heard of any new bill that that would be significant, really, on any aspect of um, reducing energy usage or um, you know more responsible land use policies. I just haven't heard about anything on climate change. Even so, no, nothing, even to address the abuse of eminent domain to build pipelines. You know, I, I a few years ago there was an effort, and some Republicans were behind that. I know right. Bobby Kaufman was one of them. Right. I haven't heard of any eminent domain bill this year, but there are still it, there's still time to introduce bills. The first deadline for getting bills through committee is coming up soon, but it's possible that there could be bills I don't know about. I have not heard about any eminent domain legislation. I mean, one thing that I'm keeping my eye on, it's not directly related to climate change, although it is related to energy policy, is that. Senator Jake Chapman, who chairs the Senate Commerce Committee, has a bill out there that would destroy the independence of Iowa's Office of Consumer Advocate. And the Office of right. Consumer Advocate represents consumers in not just before the Iowa Utilities Board, but in many different kinds of proceedings with different state agencies. And that would be a real disaster for right. energy policy and for many other things. So, right. um, so far... That bill hasn't gone anywhere, but because he's the chair of the committee that would consider it, it's something I'm concerned about. Well, Lori, thanks for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Lori Bellin, and uh, hopefully, Lori, you can touch base with us on a regular basis and keep us surprised as to what's happening under the Golden Dome. Thanks. Love to do that, Ed. All right. Thanks, Lori. Bye. Folks, when we come back, uh, Sarah Starman with Mighty Earth is going to join us. We'll be back in just a couple minutes on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns. Someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Fallon Forum, folks. We are delighted to have uh, Sarah Starman with us. Sarah, Sarah is uh, a Green Corps volunteer working with Mighty Earth. Uh, Mighty Earth is a national organization that uh, works on a bunch of uh, environmental issues, including biofuels. So, biofuels. You came to an interesting place to tackle biofuels and ethanol because that's a big deal here. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, so Mighty Earth is currently working on reforming the Renewable Fuel Standard, which has been in law for over 10 years. Uh, And that is because over the past 10 years, we've seen that it has had a lot of unintended negative environmental consequences, um, meaning that some biofuels, including corn ethanol and soy biodiesel, which we do produce a lot of in Iowa, as you mentioned, are having an effect on our environment that can be as bad as fossil fuels like oil and gas. As bad. That's that's quite a claim. <laughs> it is quite a claim, but um, these, yeah. How, how, how can, I mean, again, I, I think there's, my impression is that ethanol and biodiesel are continually, continually going through a, a process of reinvention. Uh, you know, corn is what got us started with the ethanol conversation. And now, you know, there's been experimentation with cellulosic ethanol, with uh, switchgrass and other perennials. And they're in different kinds of biodiesel. And I know that some of that stuff hasn't worked out real well. Um, but to say that it's as bad as fossil fuel, that's, a, that's, quite, a, that's quite a claim. Yes. So it definitely depends on the case. And there are some biofuels like cellulosic biofuels that you mentioned that do have a lot of potential to be good for the environment. But what we've seen, and this is uh, most recently found in a study by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, so our own government's office for ensuring that research is well done, found that uh, corn ethanol and soy biodiesel in particular, when you look at uh, land use conversion, so when natural lands under the Conservation Reserve Program or other uh, wild landscapes are converted to corn and soy fields for the biofuel industry. This can release as much carbon into the atmosphere as oil and gas. So it's because the land is being taken uh, out of a natural condition, or in in the case of Conservation Reserve, a somewhat natural condition, (laughs) uh, and then put it back into, uh, into, uh, into production, 
It's that, it's that process. Yes. It's, and that's a one-time process, of course. Once you take it out of CRP land and begin to farm it again, you know, that, that, that conversion, the, the whatever fossil, whatever um, carbon emissions occur during that conversion, that's a one-time problem. Right. Yes, although it is a significant amount of carbon that's released in the conversion. And unfortunately, over the past 10 years, we've seen millions of acres across the country converted in this way, which has released a significant amount of carbon into our atmosphere and contributed to the climate crisis, as well as habitat loss. Yeah. Because our natural lands, whether CRP lands or... I know pheasant hunters <laughs> have not been too pleased with the conversion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of pheasant habitat that's been lost. Yes, absolutely, yeah. as well as monarch butterfly habitat, uh, prairie oh, but you can't shoot habitat. those, Sarah. Come on. <laughs> that's fair. Maybe that's not so interesting <laughs> to the hunters. <laughs> well, no. I mean, monarch butterflies and other pollinators should be a great concern to anybody who eats for a living. They, they, they're responsible for helping to propagate, what, most of our crops. Exactly. Not most of them, but a big chunk of them. I think a third, maybe, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... How do you make this case with I – because mean, well, part of your goal is to talk with presidential candidates about this. How do you make a case – first of all, how do you convince Iowa farmers to get on board this? Uh, let's start with that question. Then I'll talk about the presidential wannabes afterwards. That's a great question. So I think where Mighty Earth is starting from is a point that we need alternatives to biofuels because we need to be uh, conserving, conserving wildlands and fighting climate change because there is a climate crisis and we do need to deal with that now. So what are the alternatives? So Not, not, not gas. Yeah, absolutely. We're, <laughs> we think that some of the alternatives for landowners um, include increased conservation programs, expanding the conservation reserve program and making it easier to use, or creating other programs like that that actually compensate people for pursuing conservation. Because what about in terms of actual production? What if a farmer wants to continue to produce? What, what, what do we have for them that's going to you know, be lucrative, Maybe, and hopefully at, at a level comparable to corn and soybeans? That's a great question. Um, we do think that renewable energy and supporting renewable energy like wind and solar is another alternative and a way to use your land to generate energy. And wind energy can actually produce 100 times as much energy per acre as biofuels, meaning that it could potentially produce a lot of energy on your land. And, of course, wind energy is generating its own conflicts in rural Yes, life. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, trying to convince farmers to get out of corn and soybeans uh, because of the concerns about biofuels and ethanol, that's going to be a tough road to hoe. It is. Um, and, again... Paying people to not grow something, and again, I know the value of, of CRP land. Not just as some, not just uh, not, it's not just great for pheasant hunters. <laughs> it's, it's great for a lot of reasons, but um, but that's a hard that that, that involves government payments. It involves a big investment of tax money, and uh, that, that that could be a hard sell. Not just to farmers and landowners, but to Congress and to the taxpayers generally. Yeah, I agree, and I have two thoughts on that count. The first is that. We're very open to a conversation of many different types of alternatives. Mighty Earth isn't necessarily pursuing a very particular alternative solution. We just want to see clean energy alternatives that would support fighting climate change instead of the current system, which is unfortunately contributing to climate change. And my second thought, I guess, is that I agree with you that not all farmers will want to stop production. And that many people are attached to... I would to say most won't want most, to. Most, yeah. sure. Um, will not want to and might be attached to 
the particular way of life. But I do believe that there are some out there who would if there were better incentives and alternatives available. For example, my own grandparents do farm, not here in Iowa, in rural Maryland. They used to grow corn and soy. But um, as they got older, it became easier and more lucrative for them to use the Conservation Reserve Program because they were able to work less and they weren't going to pass down their farm to anybody. Mm. So now they're making money doing less work, which is easier for them as they've gotten older. And I think, you know, there are cases out there where there are alternatives to continuing growing corn and soy that would work Mm. both for people and for the climate. Yeah. And some would argue, too, that if the, more you, <clears throat> the more land you take out of production, the less you have available for food. Yes. Because we can't eat the pheasant habitat is not great, uh, a great food stock. That's very true. But actually, about 40% of our corn and soy right now goes to biofuels, not to food. So it's not we wouldn't necessarily be losing any of our food land by starting to turn some of these biofuel lands back into natural lands. So and the other question I had is how do you how do you talk with us about president to presidential candidates about this? Most presidential candidates come to Iowa and tout their support for biofuels. Uh, a notable exception was Ted Cruz who found a way to somehow fool enough Republicans into supporting him for the caucuses last time around despite a, a horrid position on, on, on biofuels from, from, from an agricultural point of view. How do, you, how do you make that case to presidential candidates that they should get on board this agenda? Yeah, um, I mean, that is exactly why we're here, right? Presidential candidates for a while have been coming oh, here. Oh, you didn't just come here for the polar vortex <laughs> in our wonderful no, weather? No, I did not come here to freeze. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the presidential candidates do come here every cycle, and they do usually end up supporting the renewable fuel standard and supporting biofuel production in order to gain that Iowan support. But uh, we are hoping to show them that there are people in Iowa who care really deeply about fighting climate change. And many of us here know that there's a climate crisis and we need to do everything that we can to make serious changes and invest in a clean energy future. And I think, I think you'll find more and more people concerned about the climate crisis, but I think making that connection to biofuels and, and ethanol, that might be a tough, uh, tough stretch for most people. I do think it's a stretch, and I think part of that is because over the past decade, biofuels have been touted as a climate solution, and many people kind of believe that they're uh, part of a sustainability part of a sustainability solution. But I think when we go back and really look at the numbers and really look at the research and the science, we're seeing that there are huge problems with that narrative. And but, we yeah, want but, to change and, that. And part of what you're saying is that, that they, they are a worse contributor to climate change than fossil fuels. In some cases. I think that's a big – I don't think – I want to see that data because I'm, yeah. I'm not going to buy that one. I will absolutely I'm not send buy it to one. you. When you look at a life cycle analysis of uh, corn ethanol and soy biodiesel on converted lands compared okay, well, to – Well, again, the conversion – if you convert the land, yeah, maybe, there, maybe there's some impact when the conversion occurs, but after that. No, even in the life cycle. Um, and this is from, again, the U.S. Government Accountability Office. And I do think it's very hard to swallow, but – so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so a gallon of um, fuel made from switchgrass yes. is, 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 is worse on climate change than a gallon of fuel made from oil. I actually don't know about switchgrass. I specifically know that corn ethanol and soy biodiesel, which are the two biofuels that we produce the most in the Midwest. So a, ga- a gallon of corn-based ethanol yes. is worse than a gallon of oil. Depending on where the land came from, yes, it can be. 
Okay, I'm, I, I'm, I wanna, I'm, I'm not going to buy this until I see a lot more. I detail. completely understand. I'm not from Missouri, but I'm going to say, show me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Sarah Starman has joined us today, folks. She's with the Mighty Earth Campaign uh, here in Iowa to talk with presidential candidates and Iowans about uh, biofuels and ethanol, the evils thereof. Anyway, we'll. Uh, <laughs> That's, got a, that's a tough road to hoe. Good luck with that. Thank we'll you. Talk more. I, I'm, ha- I'm eager to see your research because I know it's, it's an ongoing conversation and a real interesting um, world right now because it's always changing. So, again, folks, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. If you're listening on our community-owned station, stick around. We'll have a little more conversation for you after a short break here. Again, if you're listening live, thanks for tuning in. We're on the air every Monday morning live at 11 o'clock on Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. And you can also catch the podcast on the Fallon Forum website. That's www.fallonforum.com. This is Ed Fallon, your host, saying thanks again for tuning in. Hey, Ed and Kathy here. I want to thank the Justin Democrats for hosting a great event for Andrew Yang at Cozy Cafe. A brilliant guy. Really brilliant guy. Yes. Um, he's put a lot of thought into the issues, and he's got a lot of ideas. Uh, people were very interested in what he had to say. Yeah, and uh, I, lo- I love the line, What's the opposite? who's the opposite of Donald Trump? An Asian who likes math. I like that. That was funny. <laughs> but on climate, we've got some concerns. The, uh, the indicators are right now that we're looking at a 4% Celsius increase in global temperature by 2100, yes. which is another word for we're doomed. Yes. Uh, the IPCC, in the report released in October, said we've got to keep it at 1.5. Yes. And, if we, and that's going to require rapid, far-reaching, and unprecedented changes in every aspect of our society. Yes. Do you agree with that? I do. Um, so, I believe that climate change is existential threat 1A to our way of life. And the only reason I put economic changes first is I believe addressing the economic changes is necessary for us to activate our people to address climate change. And I say this because if you have 57% of your citizens can't pay an unexpected $500 bill then, and they're living paycheck to paycheck, then they have a very hard time bringing their heads up to think about big, far-reaching, future-oriented problems. They have what's called a mindset of scarcity. And a mindset of scarcity has been shown to decrease your functional IQ by 13 points, or one standard deviation. Uh, It also make you more impulsive and more subject uh, to bad leadership. Also makes you more racist and misogynist. (laughs) Okay, so I think it's safe to say we have some trouble with that. Yes. As someone who's lived paycheck to paycheck most of my adult life, I'm not fond of the idea that my IQ has been lowered and possibly my children have been raised in a racist and misogynist. And you're a misogynist. <laughs> that sounds counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty. Um, uh, pretty unsatisfying. Um, we weren't really particularly impressed with that. And so, if you go to our citizens right now and you say climate change is an existential threat, a significant proportion of them will say, "I cannot pay my bills. The penguins can wait in line." And so if we put $1,000 a month into people's hands, then we can get their heads up. We can replace a mindset of scarcity with a mindset of abundance and future orientation. And then if we go to them and say, hey, climate change is an existential threat, 
they'll look at their children and they'll say, yes, it is, and we need to do something about it. Okay, so I'm reminded of the um, the uh, jobs versus spotted owl paradigm, the penguins versus people lifting themselves out of poverty. It, that's that's a really disturbing um, comparison to me. It's it's not one or the other. And, and also, you know, it, we're we're not. I, I think we're not we're not waiting on the American people to get this right. This is why we want uh, a president who is prioritizing climate change, not passing the buck literally. In this case, just you know, waiting till he can get everybody a thousand dollars, and then sudden somehow that will suddenly fix the problem. Right. Um, it will take quite a while for people to feel that they're out of that mindset of scarcity before they start to wake up to worrying about climate. And in the meantime, we've lost too much time. We need to get on things yeah. sooner and uh, not, as you said, pass the buck. And, and the idea that's that, that when, when people are more financially stable, they'll suddenly start caring about climate change. Well, anecdotally, that's not the case. Um, I mean, the rich have caused the biggest part of this problem. Um, sorry, I was going to say it. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't, I don't see, I don't see people with a lot of money suddenly caring deeply about climate change. So I think that's, um, that's way off base. So on the climate change front, I'm for the Green New Deal. I'm for the carbon tax and dividend. I'm for rejoining the Paris Accords. I'm for investing hundreds of billions in, in our infrastructure to make it more resilient. I'm for green jobs. I'm for all of those things. But I firmly believe that we're only going to get there if we get the boot off of people's throats first. And the Green New Deal says, we need to do this in 10 years. Well, the, the, the problem, and this is really, like, this is an existential crisis. I mean, I, I feel terrible for young people. I mean, us all at this point. I thought it was going to affect my grandkids, and now it turns out it's us. You know, it's essentially us. The truth is that the United States of America is approximately 15% of global emissions. Uh, and so even if we were to go hog wild and do everything in our power, we might slow the rate by this much. I mean, we need to exert leadership, but the truth is we're less than a fifth of uh, of carbon emissions, and there's so much carbon in the in the atmosphere right now that we're at this point the 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 it's about the rate of increase, unfortunately. Okay, so it looks to me like he's just trying to pass the buck here, you know. Okay, so yeah, the U.S. is 15% of current carbon emissions, but uh, we've been um, the biggest contributor to the problem. Uh, we are currently the biggest obstacle to the problem, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we're electing him as, well, he wants to be president of the U.S. We expect him to do as much as he can, despite whatever China or India or Europe or anyone else is going to do. Yeah, I do like how he started to talk about he is for the Green New Deal, he is for reducing emissions, etc. But he doesn't, he doesn't provide real solutions to that. So I'm with you, and it's immoral what we've done, and I want to do everything in our power to undo it. I would even be for things like geoengineering, uh, we need to invest billions of dollars in ways to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. So one example of geoengineering is that the way glaciers melt is that warm water hits the base of the glacier. And there, there have been proposals that if you piled up dirt at the base of the glacier, then it would melt more slowly. Because what? Yeah. Right. What? Where's Wait a minute, what? Where's that dirt coming from? Um, <laughs> Maybe from the, the pipeline route. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is sort of a human nature is better than mother well, that's, nature. That's, that's kind of, that's, that's absolutely crazy talk. That... There's lots of things we haven't agreed with here, but that's genuine crazy talk. Piling dirt around glaciers? No. I think it would wash away eventually. Well, and, and it's, what, just to slow the rate of melt? That, that's, so, so we, we just postpone the inundation of coastal cities by, by a few years? 
To me, and, it's an enabling thing, too. If we can find some geo solution to uh, to the climate problem, then we can continue to consume as many fossil fuels as we want and then just fix it later. It's not a solution. The uh, destruction of the farmland around my house um, when that pipe was put in, and currently it's transporting half a million um, barrels of fracked toxic crude a day. The, the Energy Transfer Partners uh, has plans to increase the capacity, at least we've heard they have plans to increase capacity in that pipe. Um, my neighbor's land was taken, all, all kinds of friends and neighbor's land was taken wow. through eminent domain or frankly yeah. trickery to get that, to get that land. Um, what ideas do you have about reining in these oil companies? That you know, I mean, I think that story illustrates just how corporate dominated um, our society has become. And one thing that people tend to like about me is you can kind of sense that I owe no one anything on that front. That I joke with my wife that if the mega corps were going to send someone, uh, they wouldn't have sent me. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Yang. You definitely understand that it's people over profits. I do appreciate that. That was a very empathetic response. And he agrees that the corporations are favored by the government right now over people. I, I appreciated his response right here. My question is, if he's not the candidate sent by the mega corporations, who is? <laughs> Which one of these Democrats is the hand-picked you know, em emissary from Wall Street? That's our job to find out. We'll get back to you on that. And the plan we've come up with is that every American gets $100 to donate to political campaigns at a local or state or at any level a year. And uh, the reason I bring this up is that right now the government is on the side of the oil company. Yes. And then if there are people in the way of the pipeline, they're like, well, you don't matter. You know who matters? The oil company and their lobbyists. But if we put $100 a year into everyone's hands, then we can reclaim our democracy uh, and then make it so that if the oil company is displacing people, then the people's voice is much louder and more powerful. Mm, and I don't know. Mr. Yang has already said that the people who are in the mindset of scarcity don't have good judgment and and aren't making making the positive changes that we need in this in this country. So a hundred dollars for people to contribute to a candidate or a PAC is that right? Um, he's already said that a lot of people are going to put that in the wrong place. So again, it's yeah, it's, they they might use it to buy milk or bread or pay the rent. I, it, that 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 to me is a sorry a nutty idea. I mean, campaign finance reform very important, but that's just off the wall. Yeah. Here's a hundred bucks. Go give it to somebody you like. It didn't hit the mark for me. <laughs> Maybe you know, if you gave me a hundred bucks, um, I would encourage a friend of mine to run for office, and I'd give it to him, and then we could split it and go have beer. Do you have a friend in mind? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just making that up. Do you have a beer but, in mind? But I mean, how how are you going to regulate that? How are you going to assure that that hundred bucks goes to an actual candidate? I just that's nutty. Well, what else would you like to have seen him said? I would have liked to have heard about some actual government solutions, government-based solutions programs that he has sincerely thought about that are solutions for some of these. As you've said, so much is passing the buck and waiting for people to wake up. We need to be awake now. We need to start acting now. Yeah, again, he's a brilliant guy, very impressive. Um, some of the stuff seems way off the wall, but um, he's clearly got a good head on his shoulders and uh, I, I hope to, I hope people have a chance to talk with him more about climate. Somebody, somebody figure out where he wants to get all that dirt from to, to prevent the glaciers from, from melting. Anyway, that's, wow.
Wow. Anyway. Uh, that was the most fun that we yeah, had. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Thanks.